Welcome to the Courage Rising Podcast. I am Genevieve, and I am dedicated to shining a light on women's stories of empowering themselves through struggle, hardship, and pain, and creating beautiful lives of purpose, passion, and love, showing us what it means to truly thrive after trauma. Each week, I release a new interview with women showing great courage in sharing their stories. To connect with the Courage Rising community on an even deeper level, join the free Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Courage Rising podcast. Thank you for joining us where stories change lives. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into Courage Rising. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Manjeet Bazran Russell. Um, she is so special to me. You are so special to me. I met Manjeet a couple years ago while I was living in Washington State, and she is just the brightest, most beautiful light. Uh, We were magnetized to each other, and she became my life coach at uh, one of the most difficult times of my life. So she really helped me through so much, as well as the launch of two of my businesses. Um, She's just so incredibly inspiring, motivational, and just the kindest, most warm-hearted person I've ever met. Oh, my Uh, goodness. Thank you. (laughs) So you're just going to have to listen, okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to have to receive all the love. I'm Um, receiving. I'm so gracious, grateful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she is the... Uh, both an, uh, an owner of a nuclear medicine staffing agency. She's been in nuclear medicine since 1995. She's also been coaching now for 20 years. She does both corporate coaching and intuitive life coaching. Uh, she's certified as a professional life coach, and she's now certified in Akashic Record Reading. Uh, she's brilliantly intuitive, which is one of the things I just love, absolutely love so much about her. So I'm so grateful to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh my goodness. That thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I was so attracted to your to your mission here. I I just I just love everything about it. But thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I would love for you to just, I know I I said a lot in my intro already, but just to let us know sort of like what your life looks like now, um, before we go into your story, uh, we're really, the Courage Rising podcast is really about showcasing um, stories of women who have gone through struggle or trauma and have really figured, gone through tremendous journeys to now be in a place where they right? Like everything's not always perfect, but we're thriving. We know how to take care of ourselves and we're doing really amazing with our lives. So, um, um, yeah, right now it's, um, in my nuclear world. Um, I, my crew is out there scanning some really sick people in uh, nuclear cardiology, which is my specialty. Um, and they're just an amazing group of, of, of people. So I love, you know, holding space for them as a business owner in this <clears throat> really tumultuous time. Um, and then in my other life, uh, in my coaching life, um, I've been um, just really busy holding space for people um, emotionally and spiritually as we go through this COVID situation. So it's been interesting in both compartments of my life. You know, in my nuclear world, it's, it's, it's really being in service and caring for the physical body. Um, and then honoring also in my other world, the, um, <laughs> the, the mental and the spiritual self. So that's really kind of where it is now. Um, not to mention, um, I have a couple of teenage girls. So, <laughs> I'm, sorry, there's a wind, uh, there's somebody blowing outside here. I hope you can't hear that, but um, awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's another uh, interesting challenge. If you're, you know, asking right now, that is absolutely like next week we'll be homeschooling. Um, I have a junior in high school and then a, an eighth grader in middle school. So yeah, just a lot of transition that I'm sure a lot of people out there, all 
in your in the audience can relate to just juggling 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 and yeah, it's all absolutely. magical and exciting but, mm. but also challenging yeah yeah totally but you're you're doing so much which is really incredible um and so as the as the owner of this nuclear medicine staffing agency how long have you had that up and running um I have had that running uh, for about 16 years now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that my crew has been uh, with me for a long time and they're just awesome. You know, I, I, I feel like um, they really helped me learn how to be an entrepreneur uh, and how to really, you know, run um, a, a conscious business that really honors work-life balance because that's actually how I became a coach was working in an industry like a lot of you are, I'm sure, where you're feeling stretched and pulled to the point of exhaustion. Um, and as a career woman uh, in my early, you know, my early, late 20s, you know, mid 30s, um, I was burning out, you know, in a really stressful corporate environment. And so that's actually where I found life coaching. And so yeah, it, it, you know, understanding that just really, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful that I've had that experience um, to really create a company where I can infuse the values that are important to me as a, as a healthcare worker. And that transcends into my corporate coaching world. So when I do my corporate coaching, I love bringing in those ideas about, you know, work-life balance and your values systems in the workplace, you know, speaking your truth, you know, not taking things personally, you know, all of those things that are so important in creating a harmonious work environment. Awesome. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Um, so now that we know a little bit about um, your life now, I'd love to hear about where you came from, right? Like sort of what your, um, what your, family life, your upbringing, whatnot, um, was like, because uh, you have a really powerful story to share. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, and thanks for holding space for this. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm an, an immigrant, right? I was, um, I'm a, I was born in England and uh, we immigrated to Canada uh, in the 70s. And um, my parents are both Indian. So we were Indians living in England <laughs> and moving to Canada. So they call us uh, people of three continents, right? We're kind of like all over the, all over the board. Um, but yeah, growing up in the 70s as um, a little brown girl was definitely not the easiest. And you know, you, you're, I love your, um, you gave us some sample questions before we came on. And I really appreciated that because it really helped me process some of this. And I realized that, you know, there was a lot of trauma back then, even as a young girl being different, looking different than everybody else. Um, I know my mom would pack us Indian food for lunch, for example, and that was just what she knew. And uh, I would go to school and it smells different, right? It looks gross. A lot of Indian food doesn't look <laughs> especially appealing <laughs> necessarily. And so looking at it through other people's eyes, right? That I, I, can, I can appreciate that. And uh, I would get teased a lot for that. And so I just stopped bringing my lunch to school, you know, as a young girl. And so I, I really, I realized like that I, I just go hungry to save myself the embarrassment, you know, and, and that, that was like shaped as a very young age. And so yeah, it, it's just a really interesting time and in being bullied for the color of your skin. We, you know, Indian girls, we have long hair, you know, I'm a Sikh girl, so we keep our hair long and we would use oil to, you know, keep it shiny and healthy and that looked greasy. So we were grease heads and you know it was it, it was definitely um definitely a challenging time growing up in in that world where being brown just really wasn't okay you know yeah absolutely yeah and i'm um and you know you do your thing you know i think as as young people and i i've learned i i, I listen to 
um, I can hear my father's voice, you know, saying assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. Like it's, you know, really important to assimilate. You speak like a Canadian, you know, you dress like them, you know, and then at home we would cook, you know, and, and speak Indian. So there was like this dichotomy in, in my life as a very young age. And I'm sure so many immigrant kids can relate to this, right? That you're living one way at home with a set of criteria um, and rules and regulations, and then you walk out of your home and it's completely different in school, you know, and in, in Canadian culture, you know. So it was kind of juggling these two different, completely different worlds and finding your voice through all of that. Um, absolutely is, uh, is, a, is a story I don't think is unfamiliar to a lot of, a lot of people, you know. But yeah, that's kind of where it starts, right? I think that, that that's where the first kind of um, tra trauma, really like, wow, identity, who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I here? You know, why do I look so different than everybody? And is that okay? You know, your self-worth becomes primary at that point in those moments, you know, as a young person, um, that's hard. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so then what did your life turn into from there? Like, where did you um, go from there? And then how did you end up in the U.S.? So you're your fourth, right? Fourth country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Culture. <laughs> no, it's crazy, right? Um, but yeah, we um, we actually we moved. My father was a machinist uh, and worked for the tar sands company um, up in northern Alberta. So we moved from Toronto um, up to northern Alberta, where we lived in the tundra for you know a, a, a long number of years as a young person. Um, and so we were pretty isolated up there as a small town. Um, but, um, and then eventually we ended up in Vancouver where I did all my schooling, my secondary schooling and got my nuclear medicine degree and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I worked as a nuclear person in, um, in, in British Columbia, in Vancouver, in the Vancouver area for, for a couple of years. And then, um, I was actually working with, um, working at the University of British Columbia doing some research. And that experience afforded me um, um, a door into doing some research um, at the University of Washington in their nuclear department. And so that's, that was my transition. And I tell my daughters this all the time. And my mom used to say this all the time. She'd say, your education is your ticket. Your, you know, education is the ticket. Don't lose the ticket. That's what she would say. <laughs> Don't lose the ticket. Keep doing the tickets. And I, so I, I just always remember, um, now I can look back at the time. It was annoying as heck, right? But now when I look back, I'm like, wow, that was really my ticket was my education and my experience there to bring me into, into the U.S. and afforded the opportunity to work um, at one of the most world-renowned facilities and doing some really, really cutting edge, amazing research, you know, that's really been impactful in the world of cancer, you know, so that, that was really, um, what brought me to the U S. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That's, that makes so much sense. I think you were mentioning before, um, we started that you weren't, that your family wasn't wealthy. Right. And so, education is often that, right? Like what your mother's saying, like that's the, the opportunity, the door of opportunity. Yes, um, to yes. Be able to get through. absolutely. Yeah. That's the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm, you know, now my daughters, right? They're in this, like, <laughs> they're in high school taking college classes and they're moving, you know, in that direction. And I keep saying, don't lose the ticket. And they're just like, okay, mom, holy cow, she's losing her mind. But I'm channeling my mother. Yep, <laughs> I am the mother, yes. Yeah, wow. Um, and when you, when you moved to the U.S., like you, I, I've heard you tell the story before about like what you had with you when you moved to the U.S. Like it wasn't necessarily the easiest transition for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and that kind of kind of bumps into like trauma number two, 
yeah. <laughs> well, it was, um, and, and like all things in life, you know, they're, it's so beautiful to have these opportunities to talk about it because you can really see the serendipity of it all. Um, in my, after I graduated with my nuclear degree, I was um, married. And uh, so I'm in my mid twenties at this point and um, I had a big Indian wedding and it was, you know, just, it was a shit show. I mean, we ended up divorcing in six months and it was like probably one of the most humiliating times of my whole life. You know, yeah. if I'm being really honest here, um, uh, just kind of crawling back home to my parents, you know, uh, and culturally, you know, Indian girls, Indian people don't divorce, right? Like that, it's very shunned and it's a, it's a shame on your home, you know? And so there was a lot of pain there for me. And, um, you mentioned in one of your, uh, your, your questions, you know, for clarity was rock bottom. And I would definitely equate that time in my life as, as one of the rock bottoms in my life. I've had a couple of rock bottoms right here. <laughs> like most of your audience, I know your members do. So we're going in. I hope you guys are ready. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was a really hard time for me because you're again, you know, questioning, you know, your worth, right? Like how, like why would somebody leave me, you know, neglect, um, and just, you know, you're just, and, and the shame and the embarrassment, it, it just, um, and it was, it was, I'm embarrassed to say it was, I, the, the part of me that came out was not my best self. You know, I was angry and, um, calling him all the time. And I was, you know, it was, I was just not in my best self, obviously. And, and that is also shameful, you know, to, to look back at that, that young woman, in her behavior. Um, but that was all just a manifestation of fear and pain, right. And anger, such anger. And so, um, it was really interesting while all this was happening, I had moved back home and I remember my, um, my father said to me, uh, one day he, cause he had heard me crying all night, you know, on the phone. And he said, he got up in the morning and he, he said, Manji, you should never have to beg somebody to be with you or to love you ever. Do you understand? And the way he said it and the way he looked at me, I just thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> it was all about my worth, right? And I remember my mother saying, you know, um, when I first came home, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, can I just stay here for a little while? I brought my, my siblings with me. I have two brothers and a sister. And I said, I need some backup. Well, I talked to mom and dad <laughs> about my divorce, you know, about this impending divorce and the shame. I'm so embarrassed. I need backup. So my siblings are with me and I will never forget my mom. I'm sobbing and I'm saying, I just, can I, can I stay here for a little while? I don't know where else to go. And she got up and she walked over to me and she held my hand and she said, I didn't raise my daughters to be treated like shit. <laughs> nice. And she goes, you stay home every day. No problem. It was like, no problem. And I'll never forget that. She was like, this is what I, this is why I moved here. You know, I moved here for a better life for my daughters and my family, my sons, not to be treated like shit. Don't treat me like shit. That's what she would say don't treat, you know, that was, so yeah, I was like, okay, I can't, I've got to find my worth, yeah. pull up my bootstraps and get my life in, in check. Like I just, I couldn't live like that as a broken person. Not that being broken is bad. It's just, it wasn't serving me at all in that moment. And at the same time, about three months, like about a month and a half later, um, I was, I found this job opportunity and and I went down for a series of interviews and three months later, I was moving to the U.S. with a car full of uh, scrubs and pots and pans and, um, and some textbooks 
because I knew that this was going to be a challenging intellectually, a challenging job. And I moved into an apartment with no furniture. Mm-hmm. So I lived, uh, you know, I mean, literally moved to this country with about a thousand dollars. And then when I went to the Bank of America, they gave me the exchange from Canadian to American money. And it was like three dollars. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I've got like $30 left <laughs> from my thousand American monies, no Canadian dollars. But it was, um, it was about, I think it, at the time the exchange was pretty low and I ended up getting, I think about $675 and my rent was 600. So I had about, you know, I had, I had a couple bucks to live on for the month mm-hmm. until I could. I could build myself back up. So that is really my story moving into, um, into this country, you know, as a, as a 26 year old girl, you know? Yeah. How did you get the courage to make that decision to do that, to right to go with that little amount of money, that little amount of things and just be going after this opportunity? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and um, for, I, I, people ask me that a lot. And, and I think it's like when you're in those situations, it, I think it's more about values. You know, in, in that moment, I valued freedom more than money. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that decision was actually very easy for me. Because if you really boil it down, you know, it was a matter of, it was a matter of my value systems. Yeah. I didn't care how much money I had, if I'm being honest. I'm like, I can make money. I will figure it out. Like, that's okay. But I, I needed to be free. And that is a value that I still hold close to my heart now. You know, as, a, as an older woman, I really value being free. I value my, the freedom of my time you know, being able to manage that for myself. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that's true for a lot of folks that make these really big decisions and they don't have that fear. I feel like it's, it's probably because you're in alignment with your value systems, right? You're really in alignment with what you really, truly desire in those mm-hmm. moments of great change, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... That was a, that was exciting. That was a, an exciting and scary and just a really fun time in my life when I look back at, at that time. Yeah. And I am, I'm, I'm proud of her, you know? Um, I, I think we don't often go back and acknowledge that, you know, like I am, I am proud of the choices that I had to make and, and I made them, you know, mm-hmm. to get to where I, I am today, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you said that. You're so right. We often don't look back and think, wow, like I'm so proud of that version of myself that age, right? Like what I did then. Um, Because I think sometimes we forget or we take it for granted, right? But we, you know, there are versions of ourselves that did. They had great courage or they had great, um, like a feeling of like empowerment, a feeling of this is right for me. And uh, I just think it's incredible. I love that you said that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're very quick to judge ourselves in the past. Right? We remember those things. Like I, I did, I mentioned that as well. I am shamed. I feel shame for the way I, you know, reacted to this, this man in my life, you know, near the end of our relationship and I was very quick to point that out, you know, like I am shameful. I feel bad. So we, 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 we do quickly yeah. go to that space versus, um, you know, the woman that was born from that experience, from me being that way is somebody I am proud of, you know, that, that she was courageous enough to say, oh yeah, I, I really, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely do this. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and- and bringing up that, I mean, it's so vulnerable, right? And so um, courageous of you to also bring up, right? That there's a part of your life where you, right? That you were getting angry and that you felt shame for that. But it's it's coming, it comes up as such a theme is, you know, when we've experienced trauma, we have a lot of anger built up. And 
um, and it just comes out, right? And then the shame is immediately tied to it. We we're just talking about this on the last episode as well. Um, it's just, I think it's a huge theme for women that we don't talk about as often uh, that, right? Like, you know, sometimes there's anger within us that hasn't been fully expressed. And so we don't think of it as being suppressed because we're constantly getting angry or we're getting overly angry, but it's like this core of this anger around something needing to change that we haven't like fully looked at and addressed. Um, and it is so difficult because there's so much shame attached to it, which can be even more re-traumatizing and keep us in the cycle. So, yeah. Um, well, and I think <clears throat> if I really look at the anger in my life and I've had to really look at anger, uh, recently, um, with my breast cancer diagnosis uh, a year and a half ago. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, absolutely, you know, anger is real, like, and the suppression of anger, um, you know, can be very dangerous, you know, to us. And so I think <clears throat> if I really look at anger in my life, I can see 100% that I used anger as fuel. I channeled my anger you know, into energy to go into motion. So I use my anger as fuel in so many different ways, like catapulting myself into this new country, you know, as a young person, like all of that stuff. It just, and you think about as a young person being bullied, you know, I, I, I was like, screw you. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to kick everyone's ass in this next game or whatever it was that I was thinking, you know, but, you know, channeling that anger, is, is just such a powerful thing. And I think it was really, it's good for me to acknowledge that anger is, it can be a really powerful mechanism for great change, right? But, you know, that anger also, I love what you said, you know, where, where are we suppressing that anger? Where are we not giving ourselves permission to be angry? Because that anger goes somewhere. And for me, it was internalized, you know, and I'm a pretty happy person. Like I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot to be angry about. I don't think, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, anger is, is just that kind of emotion. You know, I've, I've really learned, um, to embrace my anger. I've really learned to find value in it at this, at this stage in my life that, you know, anger is a catalyst for me for great change and acknowledgement. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, anger is a catalyst. That's a phrase that I've just had sort of running through my head for years now. Um, once I was able to embody my own anger, it's, I love that you said that. It's a catalyst. It really is. It's a catalyst for change, for growth, for so many things. I think uh, the key there, right? It's awareness. It's like, that is the key. Yeah. 100% it's your, it's, it's like, oh, am, am I aware that this is anger? And then once you have that awareness, you can breathe, right? You can see it for what it really is and then deal with it appropriately, right? Like most things in life. Mm-hmm. Yes, awareness. Absolutely. That is the name of the game for everything. <laughs> Girl, yes. 100%, man. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned... Um, you mentioned your breast cancer diagnosis. Um, was there anything that you wanted to talk about before we got to that? Because I know that was more recent for you. Um, geez, no, I, I mean, I feel like that was just, if we're talking about uh, trauma and, you know, um, pain, you know, that would probably be the next one up in, in the in the chain. <laughs> yeah, was my, uh, was my diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. That happened, um, a year and a half ago. Yeah. 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 I was, I had a lump actually, uh, in my left breast and, um, I went to a specialist and, uh, he cleared me and said it was fine. And then a year later I did a follow-up, um, up in my area, a little bit north of Seattle. And um, she's this really young, you know, radiologist, really super sweet and cool. And she was just like, you know what, Manjeet, I don't like it. I want to biopsy it. Mm -hmm. 
And she did. And it was um, ductal carcinoma. So um, that started a plethora of testing. Um, and um, that was really, really hard. You know, if I really uh, take a moment to breathe that in. Yeah, that was a really scary time. You know, there's a lot of unknowns. I didn't know the extent of the disease. We didn't know, you know, we had a, a, a bunch of, I had a bunch of biopsies scheduled uh, with MRI guided biopsies. Um, and what ended up happening was a partial mastectomy in my left side because they found a second lesion in the left side. And um, one was in situ and one was ductal. So there was, um, it was just really bizarre being on the other side of the testing and the scanning and the research. My whole career has been in cancer detection mm -hmm. uh, for as a nuclear tech. So I have scanned people like myself my whole career. And so for me to be on the other side was very humbling and really insightful um, and just mind boggling, you know, like how am I here and how do I want to show up here? How do I, how do I, how do I deal with this? You know? So there was a lot of like, uh, a lot of really surrealism happening in those, in that, you know, in that short period of time. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, um, I ended up not having, uh, to have chemo, um, and I had uh, seven weeks of daily radiation after their uh, after the partial re um, mastectomy with reconstruction, and so that was actually um, a big part of you know me soliciting your services. So this was a really beautiful part of our story um, was you know your healing abilities, and if if you've never experienced. Um, Genevieve's uh, healing abilities uh, and, and magical powers, that's what I call them, um, it's, it's time to call her because that was a really, really profound time in my life where I did some, you helped me do some journeying and go back and really heal some of the trauma in my life. And so just, um, just such gratitude for you for holding space for me to do that, to do that really deep and profound work that uh, I couldn't do myself. I can do a lot for myself, but I could not do that. And so I am, I am forever, forever grateful for your expertise and, and healing. And, but yeah, that was a huge part of my healing cycle too. So yeah, it was, and now I'm, you know, I've been cancer free and um, just really doing great with my health. And, uh, but it really did um, open my eyes to looking at, at anger and how I, what am I repressing? You know, what am I not expressing in my life freely? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I, it was just such a pleasure for me to be able to be there for you and to support you. Um, I think it highlights, right? Like no matter who we are or where we're at, we always need support. We deserve support actually is what I really think, um, not that we need it, but we deserve to have support no matter what. Um, and, and I always love, you know, stories of like, you know, like you helped me so much and I was able to help you, right? Like as women, we're all so gifted and so talented and there's never this like hierarchy or whatnot. Like we're all able to be there for each other in the ways that we are most talented or most specialized in, which, I think is just really beautiful. Um, yes. And so yes. I know like you went through a lot of emotion during that um, time period and you bring up anger and you brought up fear. And so um, what, you know, like what was it, like when you look back at that time, is there something you wish that that person knew or is there something that really was able to help you shift that fear other than just really going through it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, um, and, and this is, this is actually like where the rubber hits the road. I don't know. You know, I can't do those things. I try every time. <laughs> I can't do them, but I'm, I try, uh, where does the rubber hits the road, right? Yeah. 
Is that right? Okay, yeah, there, yeah. So that those are the moments in my life where, <laughs> where it is full contact, like, what is, how do I want to, how am I going to react to this? And as a coach, you know, I, I have committed myself to helping others go through some of the hardest times in their lives. And so this became one of those moments where it's like, okay, it's time for me to walk my walk. It's, you know, it's time for me to be in integrity with the things that I challenge other, my clients to do. How do I do that for myself now? Right. It was my, it was just very, very, very transparent to me that, um, in order for me to show up in the way that I want to show up, um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to walk the walk really. And so for me, um, what that meant was, um, you know, really embracing joy as much as I possibly could. And, and that's really the, the, and I'm not saying, um, you know, like delusionally, like, yay, everything's great. Everything's great. No, because I couldn't get there. I mean, I was in complete fear mode, chaos. I didn't know what was happening. And that was not attainable for me, not realistic in any shape or form. But what my goal was is to just go one vibration higher. If I could just go from despair, you know, and fear into hope, that was my goal for the day. You know, so just, it was just one little baby step higher in vibration. How do I do that? You know? And so for me, my mantra was let's embrace joy as much as we can. Right. And so those were the fundamentals that really helped me get through it. Um, and really, um, asking myself some really powerful questions like I would my clients, right? Does this fear serve me now? You know, is, does this fear serve me? And so what I did was I, I used the one, two, three, four, five, your life. That's one of my um, trademark programs that I, you know, I work with clients, my corporate clients as well. And it's, do you want me to tell you what it is? I can yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this really helped me a lot go, go into like, stop, overthinking things and going into like massive fear mode. And it really, it's very simple. It's five steps. The first one is to stop, just stop, just stop what you're doing. You know, if you start thinking all this negative stuff, I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going to, you know, I'm dying. Like all that really dark, deep stuff, stop yourself. And then number two is take a breath, just breathe, take a deep breath. And that just kind of gets you centered into who you are, right? And the sec the third thing is to analyze. So stop, breathe, analyze. So for me, analyzing is very simple. It's just that question, does this serve me right now? Mm -hmm. Does it serve me to go down this, this trail of destructive thinking before I know anything? I don't have any of my results yet. It, it, does this serve me? You know, really, truly, does it serve me? And then number four is decide is to make the decision. So once I answer that question, I'm in a much more empowered place of awareness. I can say, okay, no, that actually doesn't serve me. I'm going to embrace some joy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then number five is to do it because you can decide all day long. You can decide all kinds of stuff all day long, <laughs> but if you don't actually do it, right, then it, it's, it's all for naught. And so that process really saved me from just going into going over the deep end, you know, of overthinking it and living in fear mode because that's where fear lives. It's, it's like when you're extrapolating all of the negative things that could happen, um, I call that disasterbation, right? <laughs> like you disasterbate like the crap out of something, you're, you know, it's very easy to get into that fear mode. And, um, the one, two, three, four, five really kind of makes you stop and think about it and then really decide intentionally, how do you want to proceed? Right. And sometimes it's okay. It's okay to go down that rabbit hole and look at options and go online and, you know, Google stuff. And even though that's super, super not helpful at times <laughs> when you're not well, <laughs> um, but at least there's awareness now. You know, when you use the one, two, three, four, five, you're able to really just kind of say, okay, I'm in charge here of how I want to handle this situation. Right? Yeah. 
So, yeah, so powerful. Um, and then also, like you said, like, and then when we do do that, right, like that's also okay. And, you know, we can love ourselves through it and yeah. come back and try again, you know, like always. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we don't get it right the first time and that's okay. And that's what I call course correct. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you use course correction theory, right, strategy, where you're like, well, that did not work out well at all. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bottle in of my Pinot Grigio at this point because I've read everything bad on the interwebs <laughs> on this situation. <laughs> this is not good. Um, that's great. You know, you have some awareness now and some learning so you can choose a different decision next time, right? And it's all about awareness, right? It's all about not being a victim to the thoughts that are going on in your mind, but really having just that, those moments to stop and think about it. And it's really cool in the process. You know, when it, I use this a lot in my coaching and it's funny, everybody has a different strength of those five steps. Some, some folks are really, really good at analyzing a situation and then they're absolute shit at implementing it, going into action, right? But by having these five steps, you're able to really identify, okay, oh yeah, this is why I don't ever get to where I'm wanting to go. You know, maybe you're doing a lot of action and you're not doing the stopping and the breathing and the analyzing, right? So you're doing a lot of action, you're going and doing a lot of things, but it may not be in alignment with what you really, really want or truly desire, you know? And that is really exhausting as well. So just a tidbit of, um, you know, that it was like that model that I, you know, created and trademarked and worked so hard at, it just came flying right back in my face. It was like, (laughs) I was like, oh man, you mean I got a one, two, three, four, five in my life right now? Okay. (laughs) Fine. Okay. So it was um, just kind of really walking the walk and, and really holding myself accountable to the things that I hold others accountable for, you know? Right. That's so important. Um, also just the fact that you live your life showing up for other people, like not that that's the only thing you do, but it's a huge part of what you do. And so, you know, remembering to show up for yourself in those moments, right. And, uh, to remember that this, you know, you are your number one priority that this is, um, you know, this is the, the purpose of everything always has to come down to us, right? Like we got to take care of ourselves so we can show up for other people. And so yeah. just emphasizing showing up for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I spend a lot of time working with really powerful women and um, self-care, you know, is so important. We cannot give when we're empty, you know, and that goes for us too. We cannot give to ourselves when we're empty, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm a much better mom after um, I've retreated with my girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm, I'm a lot more focused. I feel full. I've had a weekend with my sisters and we're having a great time and I'm able to decompress and release. It's like the pressure valve. I get to like take that off and cry and laugh with them. And then when I get back home, you know, I can, I'm, I just have that space in my heart for them that I may not have known that I had before, you know, so retreating and taking care of yourself. That's how I take care of myself. That's a big way is, is, is retreating. And so, um, I mean, although now it's really difficult to do with, with the whole COVID thing, but, um, you know, you adapt, find new ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would love to go back, um, you mentioned um, self-worth and shame quite a few times. Yes. And, you know, for those that are still still going through struggle right now, who are still going through trauma that really are, you know, struggling with their self-worth, like what was it for you that really helped you become more aware of your self-worth? Um and that really helped you to start to build that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think um, 
you know, that really powerful interaction with my father, you know, when he looked at me in the face and as a young woman, he said, you, you should never have to beg someone to love you. Like that doesn't, you're lovable just as you are. Like, you know, there was so much in that, what he said. Um, and so I think that was, um, and, and I'm sure everybody has their own catalyst for that. That was the, one of the big catalysts for me was really like, hold, like this is, you know, this man I admire and love and respect in my life saying like, no, you are worthy. You know, you are worth more. And so I think um, it is a process because when I look at her, you know, then, um, and I look at myself now, of course, I've been through, a, you know, we, we go through a lot and I have time and experience on my hand, on my side. Um, but I really think that um, embracing my self-worth has a lot to do with um, my self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really does. I, it's hard to find yourself worthy if we don't honor ourselves whatever that looks like, whatever your self-care regimen looks like, you know, to just, just implementing that says I am worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do um, a lot of um, chakra work as well. I really am a huge fan of, um, you know, just doing a lot of energetic work as well to really embrace you know, that third, that solar plexus, that yellow, that beautiful, brilliant yellow light in, in your, in your solar plexus that says, you know, you have power, you are worthy. Um, and you, you're, you're important, you know? So sometimes I, it's an interesting question because there are times in my life where I would, um, find my value in serving others, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I'm, I'm worthy because, I'm a, I'm a mom, you know, I'm worthy because I, 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 I service and help other people, right? I am worthy because I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a wife, you know, but it's never about like, I'm worthy because I'm me. And so I think that's been the biggest shift for me over the years is to really say, I am worthy because I'm me. And because I'm me is what allows me to help others. Mm-hmm. I don't get my worth from them. I'm getting my worth from me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just the most powerful shift for so many people is, right, that unconditional worthiness, right? Instead of it being a condition of because I'm showing up, because I'm helping these people, because I'm taking care of my children, uh, because then when we aren't doing that, right, then all of a sudden we, right, like our work is taken away from us somehow. Um, we feel like we're failing as a parent, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden we're left thinking, oh, well, I, what, I felt worthy because of this. Now it's taken away and I feel unworthy again. And right, like it, it all has to come down to, it all has to originate from within us. Yeah. Uh, because then we get to be the big, beautiful, brilliant light in the world. And we get to be worthy even when we mess up, right? Oh, yeah. We get to be worthy even when we can't work. We get to be worthy even when, you know, parenting gets really hard and you don't know what's up from down and <laughs> or yeah. what's right or wrong or anything. And so I yeah. think, yeah, I love that you brought that up. Yeah, I think for like, and that was a big, like, a big shift for me when I was, I was leaving the corporate world. So I was in the corporate world and I was, you know, kind of, they, you know, I was advanced tracked or whatever the hell they call it. I don't, you know, they, they want you to climb up the ladder and all that kind of stuff. And I got to this point in my, in my corporate life where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing a lot of things and I should be really, really successful and happy. I, I mean, I'm successful by the definition of like in my career path, but I did not feel that way. You know, I felt um, like I was doing a lot of stuff to be successful, but I did not feel that way at all. I felt actually the opposite. I felt depleted. I did not feel worthy. I felt worthless. And so in that moment, 
I, it became a, a matter of like, how, what am I doing versus how am I being? Right? How, how do I want to be in the world yeah. to, to honor my worth? You know, like I could be doing all kinds of stuff and yeah, great. I got this awesome title and, but that means absolute shit when I'm completely drained and I'm, I'm just tuckered out all the time. And at that point in my life, I was also really wanting to be a mom. And so I was on this really career path, you know, powerful career path. And then I was like really conflicted. And so then I was like, but I'm be I'm worthy here. I'm, you know, I'm, I have value here. I'm in service here. I'm being rewarded with money and titles and all this kind of stuff. But then it was like, but who am I being? Like, I'm, I'm not going to have space in this world to be the kind of mom that I wanted to be. It just was not going to work. And then I was in crisis because then it was like, okay, who do I want to be? Not just what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? And that's when I got my coach. That's when I went and found a life coach and was like, okay, <laughs> I need some perspective, sisters. I don't know what is happening. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I should be happy, but I'm not, you know? And I, I think that I was really tied into my worth. You know, like I, I, I thought that was where I was, I felt worthy and, and I felt productive. And then through my, you know, with work with my coach, and I still, you know, have lots of mentors and coaches that I work with all the time. Um, that's what we unpacked was if those two things don't exist in the same world, what choices are available to you now? And I resigned. <laughs> so, I mean, I resigned my position so that I could create my own company, uh, you know, in my nuclear medicine world. And that afforded me the luxury of freedom so that I could work from home and be the kind of mom that I really wanted to be, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom those two things at the same time. And I was in complete, you know, breakdown because of it. And I love that process so much because it just became so much clearer to me and people again it's the same question I'm that was so courageous of you to leave that position well actually not at all it was really fucking easy because it meant I could be free yeah sorry you know I like to swear oh I you're good <laughs> <laughs> I get a little passionate but <laughs> but you know in, in that moment it was like um, I want to be free. I don't, I, and I want to be a mom. I really want to have that experience in my life. And, and that is something that I've always known about myself from a very young age. I knew two things. I knew that I wanted to help people and be in service to people and help catapult them in their lives, however they wanted to go and be and show up in the world. And the second thing is I always knew I wanted to be a mom. So, you know, when I have, you have these driving forces that are in you and you don't honor them, mm -hmm. it creates chaos. And then you question your worth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the, it's the incongruence, right? Of your values and your external situation. Um, yeah, I love, I love how you talk about it that way, that it doesn't, it didn't even feel courageous. It just felt like it was literally just what you had to do, right? Your, va your values were in, in incongruence with your external situation. You just had to make that choice, which is really just honoring you and your truth, which is so beautiful. Um, and so you always knew you wanted to be, so you always knew you wanted to help people, which is so amazing. And you're clearly doing that in so many ways. And you always knew you wanted to be a mom. And so how has parenthood played um, into your self-worth journey as well? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um... I feel, um, I feel great uh, worth and power knowing that um, I, I can help them shine brightly in the world. You know, that we have another generation of really bright kids and these beautiful souls that are going to take over. I mean, we're kind of leaving them a bit of a shit show. <laughs> I mean, let's be real, right? I mean, it's, we're not doing a great job in honoring our planet and all kinds of stuff, right? And, um, but I just, I, I, I do feel um, 
really connected to to kids and and that's one of the things i i love doing i do workshops in high schools and middle schools in our area um yeah, helping you know kids transition into middle school because that's a big transition so i do these workshops um I did my first one with kids online. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so different than adults. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, and then I also uh, love working with um, um, high schoolers that are transitioning into the real world. And so I, I do some workshops with them about goal setting, you know, and just really, what does that even mean? I call it intentional goal setting, you know, not, and just kind of giving them permission to like, it's okay to make a choice and then fine tune it later. It just, you know, there's no final destination all the time, right? Like you're going to maneuver in and out of that, but it's important to have something to shoot for. Mm -hmm. You can change it. You can, you can always maneuver things. Um, so I, I just, I just love, um, having children has really opened that doorway for me to like try to plant, you know, some of those seeds to, you know, really make this world, you know, maybe just a little bit more clear and powerful and they teach me so much like I, you know i i know i'm their mom but they just teach me so much about life and love and compassion and i'm just in awe of that whole of the whole process and they're teenage girls um and so there's a lot of emotion and a lot of stuff but i'm kind of loving it right now. <laughs> Might not be in the <laughs> in the uh, majority on that, but they're you know, it's also my perspective. I'm I'm very inquisitive with them. I'm very I ask a lot of questions, uh, you know, and they're very chatty. So it's really powerful for me to, to hear from them, and and that's how I learn, and that's also how they're processing. Yeah. So it's like a bridge, you know. It really helps bridge um, the gap there. Oh, that's really beautiful. So you're showing up for them and then they're showing up for you in all these brilliant, magical ways. I love oh, that. Yeah. So these beautiful. kids, they're, they're going to save us. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. These kids are going to save us. I'm telling oh. you. <laughs> I would love to hear, um, sort of as we're getting to the end here, uh, I would love to hear about what kind of work you're doing now and what kind of opportunities people have to work with you uh, if they're interested? Oh, yeah. Well, I have a pretty robust one-on-one um, -on -one, uh, clientele. So um, you can always work with me one-on-one, -on -one, um, which is a lot of fun for deep, profound change. Um, I think that was part of what you went through um, since you shared that earlier. That, that was that. Uh, so there are 12 one-on-one -on -one sessions that really help and bring great change. Mm -hmm. um, I do the Akashic Record reading. So if you're interested in doing some healing, maybe even some past life healing, um, then because sometimes our past life stuff kind of, it manages to, manages to find its way into this life and we're not really quite sure how or why. And so sometimes having a, a medium to help you with that is for really profound. I know that's been really profound for me uh, with my uh, breast cancer journey. Um, and um, you talked earlier, well, I have the 22-day challenge coming up in October um, under the full moon. It's, a, it's, it's an online group, uh, and it comes with an electronic workbook. So that's really, really fun. It's basically the one, two, three, four, five that I talked about earlier, and we just kind of stretch it out over the next 20, 22 days. It, it's, they say you create a habit in 21 days. Like, right, if you do something 21 days, you create a habit. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I created it 22 days because uh, the last day is a celebration day. Because in my experience as a coach, we don't take a moment to celebrate our successes. Mm -hmm. And so that 22 day is all about what did you learn? Let's celebrate. You deserve. You are worthy, you know, and you've done great. So it's a it's just a celebration day, which I love. Um but you, you spoke earlier about um, women supporting each other, yeah. right? And, and um, I'm really connected to that as well. I, I, I don't, I'm not a, um, I'm a personally really in, a competitive person like within myself. Like I want to do well, you know, better this time and then next time like for myself. But um, I just, I just am not a very competitive person with others, especially with women. Um, and so 
I've launched these um, intuitive women's circles and they're monthly circles where we get together and we talk about just different topics. So the first, uh, the last couple, I, I, one of them was embracing your intuition. And then uh, yesterday it was actually um, embracing your inner goddess. So that was really high vibe, super powerful stuff. And we got a chance to, you know, do a guided meditation together and, and just talk. Like just, I had some guiding questions, but you know, the, the women in the circle are sharing their stories and we're learning from each other. And there's no competition. You know, it's just a really safe, non-judgmental place. Um, and the women that show up are just really meant to be there. And so that has been really, really fun to see these women supporting each other from all over the world. I have a 10 a.m. session just for my folks that live overseas. And so there's a bunch of Brits that come on and they're all talking like this and they're really passionate about things. And, <laughs> and then there's, you know, people from, you know, California and it, they're just all like in sync and loving, you know, the connection. Um, and so that's, that's something that I really, um, I'm really loving is just the, the way women can show up for each other compassionately, non-judgmental, and sharing, collaborating, listening. It's just um, magical. So yeah, I'm, I, and a lot of that stuff is on my website. Um, I do some intuitive vision boarding processing, the intuitive vision board process uh, workshops online as well. So I have a couple events. The, the one on Sunday sold out, but there's, a, there's another one coming up in the next month. But lots of fun things. Yeah, I loved the intuitive vision boarding. We did, um, we co-hosted a workshop together once and it was incredible. Oh, awesome. So amazing. So what is your website so people can find you? Yeah, it's um, infinitebalance.net. Infinitebalance.net. Yes, Perfect. yeah. And you can go under workshops and events and uh, just click through there and see uh, if there's anything there that is interesting or um, you can sign up for a one-on-one -on -one consult with me. Um, or an Akashic record reading. So we have Beautiful. Some, I think I have a promo on right now uh, until the end of the month. So check it out if you like. And beautiful. I would love to see you. Yeah, beautiful. And um, so for those, so this podcast is really, you know, I love everything that you shared, your journey and whatnot. There are some people that might still be stuck, like really um, stuck in trauma right now or stuck in difficulty. If you like looking back at your time when you were really at your scariest moment, when it comes to your breast cancer diagnosis, um, what message do you have for other women that are in that, that space right now that are in that space of fear, um, and not really knowing what's next and, um, really facing really scary things in their lives? What, what message would you have for them? Mm, yeah. Well, I think the first thing I would, I would want to say is, um, with my whole heart open, you are not alone. <sighs> you are not alone. Right. Um, I know there were a couple things that really served me when I went through, you know, I think I just most recently my breast cancer journey. Um, it is a very solitary process. You know, it's like, I would have loved for my sister to go to my radiation appointments for me. I, when I wanted to, like, I remember sitting in, you know, in fear and, and, and being just super pissed off. Like, why can't I just like, why can't they just do it for me? <laughs> I hate you. I had to walk this path myself. Um, but just because I had to walk this path myself, it doesn't mean that I have to feel that alone. And so one of the big things that I learned during that really, really powerful time was asking for help. And that is something that a lot of, uh, a lot of folks uh, struggle with, you know, and I'm no exception. It was really difficult for me to, to say, could you give me a ride? You know, can, can you help me here? Can you, um, can you just sit with me while I cry? You know, can you hold, so knowing that there were people in my life that I could, that could hold that space for me. And, and really, even in those moments, I may not have even known that they could hold space for me, but I gave them the opportunity to show up for me. Does that make sense? So I, I was, it was about me saying, um, 
I'm going to hold you higher than I've held you before. Can you, can you hold this space for me? And I'm telling you every single time they showed up for me, you know, they, they sat and they cried, they held my hand and they, they just, that's all I needed. You know, even my, my brother came in from, from, from Canada to like come to my first radiation treatment, you know? And I was really surprised by that. I mean, which is weird because he, you know, they're, my family's very, very supportive, but this was really important to him. And I know he's a radiation physicist as well. So this was kind of his wheelhouse, but that was how he could love me. And I let him do that. Yeah. So I think when you're going through some of these really hard times, you know, just being um, able to receive, you know, is so important. Number one. And then number two is asking for help. Yeah. And then number three, what I would say is, um, when we talked about it earlier, you know, I, I, I was, it was, I was so low. There were some really low, dark places there. Right. Um, but I was just challenging myself to just go that one vibration higher, yeah. just to go out of like despair and fear and just go into maybe hope. And so the best way to do that is to have like a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. So having a a mechanism in at the ready, you know, to say, um, what am I grateful for today? And so that would be my routine every night, even though it was a shit day, I'd say, what am I most grateful for? And I would always find something, you know, but what that did was it just helped me raise that vibration. Just one little baby. Sometimes it would do the little baby step higher. <laughs> just a little, little bit more. <laughs> but I, it helped. You know, it really served me. Yeah? Yeah. That's beautiful. That's so perfect. Right? Just one, one little baby step. That's all yeah. you need. Just a little baby one. That's all you need. Just, a, you know, just to help me get through it. Right? Yeah. Um, and the way you talked about receiving, right? It's like all this love is around us at all times. And sometimes we just have to allow it in, right? Yeah. yeah. To allow ourselves to ask for it and allow ourselves to receive it. So I really, yeah. really love that. Yeah. Yeah. That receiving part, you know, and, and it, the thing is, we're not, a lot of us are not good at that anyways. So when we're in a crisis situation or we're in deep pain and fear yeah. that our doors even shut harder. When in reality, that's when we really want our doors to open even wider. So it's almost like a challenge for folks that aren't even in pain right now to practice that. Practice what does receiving look like for you in your life? You know, is it energetic? Is it spiritual? Is it, are you receiving laughter? Like, what are you, what are you ready to receive in your life? You know, on a good day so that when the bad days come, you know how to do that. It's a muscle that you've exercised. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. Because that's when we forget is when we're in the crisis, we forget what we actually need. So practicing it. Yeah. Exercising the muscle. Oh, so good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Manji. If you want to find out more about the work she does, check her out at infinitebalance.net. Um, and I so appreciate you coming on with me, sister. I love you so much. Thank you so much for your story. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me and holding this amazing space for your audience and for me. And you are just so loved. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, my dear. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the Courage Rising podcast, where stories change lives. And don't forget to check out our free Facebook community at facebook.com slash groups slash Courage Rising podcast. See you next week, my loves.